Thanks everyone for joining. I guess we'll uh, we'll give people uh, a couple minutes before uh, before getting started. Uh, we have this um, tradition back home in France. We call it the 15 minutes of politeness, where it's it's still considered polite to arrive uh, late within the first 15 minutes. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll give people a couple minutes, and um, in the meantime, uh, I'll kind of um, do a quick intro uh, of Tamir. I mean, I'll do a more uh, deeper intro uh, when we start, but you're uh, excited to have you as our guest uh, today as the um, running marketing ops for uh, for Logs.io. Um, and yeah, I guess today we're diving a little bit into, uh, a little bit more into um, how to figure out the right range of, of technical skills and especially diving a little bit into the, the BI side of things when you're in marketing ops and how to have the, you know, be this person that can be the bridge between um, you know, the, the BI team that's like very heavy on the analytics and the go-to-market side that usually is uh, a little bit lighter on, on that front, but has actually a big need for, uh, for analytics. So um, thanks a ton for, for joining us today. Um, hope you're excited to do this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I guess... Um, while uh, while we're doing this, um, I was curious to hear on um, while people are still joining on we were just before uh, this started, we were kind of you know chatting on on recommendations about YouTube channels and podcasts that we uh, that we listen to. Um, nothing necessarily directly related to to marketing ops, but I'm curious, like do you have any um, yeah, again, podcasts or YouTube channel that you recommend people kind of take a look into that either relates to, you know, directly the world of marketing ops or potentially like to something else that can kind of help, you know, open your mind a bit. Yeah, so nothing related to marketing, really. I, I probably should listen to more marketing podcasts. Um, uh, but I have like two of them. There is really one, so I don't know how relevant would, they would be for everyone here. But one of them is kind of historic, but it's like weird, uh, like, stories from the history. Um, it's like one of the, the guys read it and the other doesn't know anything about it before and just reacts live to the weird story that they're uh, telling, which is nice. And the other one is called uh, One Song, which is they're taking a lot of Israeli songs and interviewing um, the singer and the writer and a lot of people involved in creating the song and, and asking them what what was the meaning of the song, how it, how it was written, how it was recorded. So if you're into music, you're into Israeli music, which you should, uh, <laughs> check it out. Nice. Yeah. Um, like similar, I have, uh, I think Song Exploder is a great podcast in, in that same kind of vein. And uh, um, there's a great channel also called 12 Tone, uh, kind of, again, decomposes songs and uh, um, and kind of shows you how it's built. And one of the things we were talking about, and that's kind of my my segue into what we're going to be talking about today, I was saying there's, it's interesting to see how, um, you know, musicians will score movies and create that kind of underlying music and how it, it gives you, it creates this atmosphere and it kind of helps the storytelling. It helps you drive uh, from start to conclusion in the story. And it's not something that's necessarily visible, but <clears throat> if you remove it, it, it almost like completely destroys the storytelling. And uh, um, yeah, it, it kind of like breaks the, the movie apart. And I, I find that there's something, there's a, a strong parallel with marketing ops where marketing ops isn't necessarily like the most shiny and kind of forefront part of marketing, but it's kind of the underlying blood that really helps make sure everything is going to work frictionless. And yes, like most people know about brand, they know about the demand gen efforts because that's the most visible part, like similar to kind of like the images you see in the movie. But if you have the images without any of the, the sound and the music, you kind of lose a lot of the meaning to it. And I think this is very similar in, um, in marketing where we see that, you know, marketing strategies that are not backed by a solid uh, set of marketing ops, it kind of falls flat because it's lacking coherence and it's lacking a lot of the um, yeah of the core in the background that actually makes the customer journey kind of work together and not just be a set of sporadic uh, advertisement or, or touch points. Uh, but anyway, I think this is like uh, we'll we'll jump that way right into uh, the topic today. A couple kind of 
uh, housekeeping, pretty straightforward, but um, so yes, we are uh, recording the session today. Um, so feel free to ask any questions. So in uh, on the LiveStorm interface, you'll see there's uh, a chat function where you can chat, ask questions, say who you are, where you're coming from. Uh, we've had people kind of share their LinkedIn's uh, in there in the past if they wanted to interact with some of the other folks that were uh, attending today. And then uh, there's also a section where you can ask um, any question that um, that you might have, and we'll kind of look to address those towards um, the end of the session here. But we'll stop uh, in the meantime uh, if there's any kind of like relevant question that we want to address at that point. Um, so um, good job joining. It qualifies you, uh, I guess, for uh, potentially getting this awesome mini drone, which will hopefully come in handy in uh, a few weeks when we're able to go back out hiking and visiting and seeing friends and family. So um, we're excited to be uh, offering this as a giveaway. And without transition, let's run right into our topic. So as I mentioned, uh, extremely excited to have uh, Tamir with us today. Um, Tamir has been uh, running the um, has been running market ops at uh, logs.io for the past uh, three years. Um, he has deep uh, technical expertise both on the Martech side when it comes to understanding you know the, the depth of Marketo, HubSpot, Pardot, um, and uh, on the BI side we'll share a lot of insights. Um, and passionate about music, which was uh, what we were talking about uh, before, and um, he is uh, he has switched from supporting soccer teams to, to basketball in in Tel Aviv where he's calling from so super excited to have you here uh, and I guess um, let's jump um, right into it uh, I guess the the first question that um, we wanted to go over is uh, I know you have a, a pretty kind of hefty uh, stack at uh, logs.io do you mind uh, just for for context kind of sharing a bit of uh, what that stack looks like and kind of what are the the big pillars uh, in there that you think are, are are important for people to think about and to potentially have uh, in their org? Yes, uh, again, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so the, the the middle of all this infrastructure is Barcado at the end of the day, which is Barcado for our, uh, email orchestration, for scoring orchestration, for uh, even for building audiences for uh, uh, um, paid campaigns. So we in, in Logs.io we have a, a SaaS app that we offer people to register for a trial, and then they can have like a, a free user as well after the trial, and they can upgrade, of course. Um, so uh, into Mercado we have the, a data warehouse which gathers all the information that we can from our Kelo, from Salesforce, uh, from our app, from our paid campaigns, from LinkedIn, from Google, from everywhere we can think of. We get all this information into the data warehouse, uh, which is the, the Redshift. And we have, uh, we're using a Pentaho, which is a, a free tool, uh, an open source tool that helps us build and, and also push information into Mercado. And we're using also uh, Periscope to build dashboards and, and more on the BI and analytics stuff. Um, the idea is that we can have all this information in Mercado to first score the leads and also build the audiences uh, according to, to their behavior and according to what we want to do in the campaign and the messaging. So that's like a, on a high level. Right. And, and if I remember correctly, you folks also use uh, Amplitude on the tracking side to make sure that kind of any, I guess, like client side activities are also recorded and, and pushed yes. into uh, the data warehouse. Yes. So we're using Amplitude for us also for our website and also for our online app, which is a different domain. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I, if I remember correctly, we're also talking like the, the website is built on, on WordPress. Um, and I think that um, to me kind of like opened up an interesting question. So uh, what's exciting about uh, logs.io logs is that you have 
um, this kind of like traditional uh, PLG motion where you have kind of, you know, two different ways of considering your inbound funnel where you have, I guess, like the more traditional inside sales of people being able to request a demo, downloading content, but you also have the product uh, driven approach. And for a lot of companies that have this product driven approach where there's going to be a lot of um, events to track, we see like Amplitude as being a, um, you know, one of the solutions of choice. But a challenge that I, I typically see happening is um, understanding who should own the um, like the amplitude tracking because it, it serves kind of multiple purposes. But the main purpose it serves, at least from our standpoint as marketers, is making sure we understand who's doing what. But there's typically also like the product or BI team that want to be able to run reports, understand product activation, all that stuff. So um, maybe if you if you can share a little bit. Uh, from your perspective and at Logs.io, kind of who owns this amplitude tracking? Um, and yeah, and what are potentially some areas that are like gray areas or some areas where like there's different requirements and making sure that the requirements uh, end up in the hands of the person who owns it? Yeah, so in our team, uh, the, the SEO team owns the, the maintenance and, and handling of uh, uh, amplitude. Um, but we are working again with the BI team. We are working uh, with the product uh, analytics uh, team that we have that is also helping us to track events in the product itself, but not only on the website. And the big challenge, the, 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 I think it's the huge challenge, is to keep re remembering that if you offer new conversions, if you offer new paths, if you offer new journeys, then you also have to update amplitude and you have to update the goals to, to track all of everything, which a lot of the times you can easily forget because you, we're all like all working on like several different things at the same time and we all want to run. And sometimes it's easy to forget that you have to, to build those, like the new things. And sometimes even the, the big things that you built that worked, sometimes you stop working and it takes take some time to for you to understand that something stopped working there. So that's the, for me, like that is the big challenge, especially when, as I said, like we have the CEO team, we have um, myself and, and we have the product uh, analytics team all working on the same amplitude. Right. Yeah, and it, it very quickly, you have these, uh, these potential discrepancies that start happening where you start spinning up, you know, a new uh, landing page in Marketo and, I think the, the interesting thing of having the, the SEO team own the, um, the implementation of Amplitude, at least on the website, is making sure, like the SEO team is, is going to be very cognizant of the fact that there's a new landing page that's been created because it impacts SEO. So that kind of like creates, I think, a, an interesting forcing function to make sure that Amplitude is going to be implemented uh, correctly there because it's like something that I see very uh, frequently where you know, marketing is going to be deploying new pages off of Marketo or HubSpot or anything like that. And Amplitude or whatever tracking doesn't necessarily get added to it. And now you start having these two kind of diverging tracking plans where um, Amplitude is tracking it one way and has blind spots and like Marketo is tracking it a different way with blind spots. And and it, it just like then it makes it harder to get together and kind of uh, look at it. So I really like the idea of having the, the SEO person or team be in charge of um, of it on the website, and then potentially, I, I assume within the product that the the product team is in charge of making sure that um, the events are fired into amplitude. Yes, that makes sense. Um, also, super interesting that uh, that you folks are are using Pentaho, which uh, we were talking about this uh, yesterday. But I think Pentaho had like a kind of like massive moment of uh, of exposure, and we haven't heard that that much from them. Lately, but I feel like they're definitely part of this um, recent topic that's been emerging of operational analytics and trying to figure out how we stitch together uh, a lot of the data that's living either in, you know, like a Marketo Salesforce, but there's like data in Amplitude, data in a data warehouse, and how kind of how you funnel data easily from one place to another. So I thought that was definitely a, um, it's definitely interesting that you folks are using Pentaho and. I think like most tools are pretty much the same. Like there's not a magical tool that works better than others. So uh, definitely something that I, I recommend people kind of look into because like the, the open source element, I think is at least from my perspective is always a big uh, a big plus for a tool like that. We're like a, an open source company. So I think that we, we prefer to work with open source. Yeah, 
that makes sense. Um, and so I wanted to jump a little bit uh, into, I guess, like the core of the conversation today with, um, you know, the intersection of, of BI and, uh, and marketing operations. I guess from, uh, from your standpoint, if we go kind of with the, um, the easy question is, um, should, uh, should marketing ops professionals learn SQL or uh, if not, how should they uh, learn to interact with a um, like BI team or analytics team? Okay, um, so I was told that SQL is not that hard, but it's still like a coding and, and you still need time to, to, to learn it and, and to study it. Uh, I encourage you to do so. I'm doing it, I'm trying to do it when I have like some spare time, like with online courses. You don't have to be a developer. Uh, you can if you want, but you don't have to. But I think that understanding like, the basic core of what is SQL and how is it working and understand some of the commands or some of the, the, the coding itself helps you understand better uh, how to approach the BI or the, the BI team and tell them what you need to do and understand what you can do and what you can't do because SQL and, and the BI team has limitations as well. So that's, uh, I encourage you to, to do learn some SQL. If you don't, if you, or if you can't, uh, the best way to understand the BI team and to, to know how to work with the BI team is first of all, understand your own platform, how the platform works, what are you offering? Especially if, if you offer a free trial in a SaaS uh, platform, so understand what is the free trial? What can you do? What you can't do? How many people can be in the account? How, how many data, if it's a cloud, how many data you can send? When you understand that, um, you understand better on what to ask from the BI team, what information you need, what columns in the tables they have is interesting and what is not, because they have a lot of information and a lot of columns. Not everything is interesting or meaningful to marketing campaigns. Um, and then I learned, I, I just, I got to the company around three years ago um, and the setup that they had, uh, we needed to improve it. So I just sat with a, uh, back then it was in uh, like the BI, there wasn't a BI team, there was a BI guy, just sat with him and said, okay, he told me how it works. I told him what we need to do. We started coming up with scenarios and he said, okay, that makes sense, but what happens if this? And what happens if that? And then uh, during the time that uh, we worked on, on several projects together, you understand more and more uh, how it works. And so if you have the time and if you um, really want to, to learn, if you don't want to learn SQL itself, you just sit with the BI, uh, the, even like a half, a half an hour a week or something, sit with them, ask them how it works, ask them what, or if you have any ideas of, of campaigns, ask them if it's possible, if it makes sense, how can we do it? And that's the best way because after a couple of months, you'll see that things are working a lot easier and a lot faster and less iterations. That makes sense, and I, and I think to, to some extent, I, I think it's also a good representation of um, like the kind of T-shape uh, marketers that that typically uh, make the best marketing ops folks. I think you know what we're talking about today in terms of understanding how the BI uh, systems work at a high level of understanding what is even possible, like what questions we can ask the tool and what questions we can possibly. I think is a similar need that you have on the SEO side. On the demand gen side, like as a marketing ops, it's important to understand what those roles are, what's possible there, what are some of the tools that they use. And, and I do feel like we, like most marketing ops will have like a good uh, high level understanding of a lot of the other marketing functions, but on the um, operations and maybe like more analytics side of the operations, we'll tend to sometimes shy a little bit away because of that initial technical barrier that uh, SQL like or coding language might be. But I, I really like your approach of saying, you know, you have to demystify this by saying, you know, you don't learn SEO by just saying, I'm going to do SEO. You actually go talk to someone who runs SEO, understand how they think about it, how they decompose problems. And then by doing that, you kind of start seeing the tools they use and it, and it creates this understanding of, okay, 
how could I then empower my SEO person because I'm starting to understand what data they need and you can make them better. And I think it's very similar with the BI team of realizing they often need a better understanding of the question they're trying to answer or even a better understanding of the go-to-market motion, which I think is a great example of saying, if you can only, if there is a limit in your free plans, making sure that is like blatantly obvious, your BI team, like we, we should somehow, like we should measure this and make sure that anyone who goes over that threshold is someone flat is somewhat flagged and, and that we can start doing stuff on top of it. And I think that helps demystify where you realize it's not necessarily that hard to build that computation. Um, and you can work together for them. It helps them understand the business requirements. So I, I really love this, uh, this idea of just, you know, sitting down with, um, you know, the BI folks, either virtual or, or in person, and kind of just like going through some of these questions and doing that exploratory work to gain um, confidence in, in what can be done and, and really demystifying. So I, I do think we tend to be um, to go a little bit too far and saying, oh, we need to hire a data scientist in the marketing team, um, which I'm, I, I don't know if, if you folks see it that way. But to me, it doesn't sound like you need a data scientist. You need a marketing ops person who can formulate the question correctly to the analytics team. Uh, yeah, that depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But if you if you're trying to accomplish like building the audience, as you said, if you want to see how many people are really close to the limit, let's say of the data to to start uh, sending them emails or uh, showing them ads or something, then yeah, the, uh, marketing ops like a good marketing ops can be enough. Um, I just thought about something. Um, I'm I'm seeing myself in the marketing ops as like a junction that mm -hmm. seeks. Uh, and I have like arms to the SEO team and I have arms to the, even the sales team and the product team and other functions and even the, like the graphic design uh, and the website design. So a good market, a good marketing operations guy knows how to talk with people and even more important knows to listen to the people. So it's harder now when you, we're not in the office because of COVID and everything, but uh, just, Take the time yeah. and speak with these people and understand how they they're doing their job and how it connects to your job. I think it would uh, make the team better. Yeah, and I, I definitely see this as being one of the the greatest challenges on the on the marketing ops front is that you end up interacting with so many different teams, personalities, and and kind of mental models. I, I call them right, like the sales team. Uh, this is an example, and and we'll dive into uh, lead scoring in a bit, but. One of the things that I always find interesting is, and this is you know exaggerating a little bit, and um, but salespeople have a mental model of association. Well, they'll they'll say this company looks like this other company, and they kind of associate like, oh, I was successful selling to these folks, and I think I'm going to be successful here. And marketing and, and analytics tend to think a little bit more in traits. Oh, this is like a hundred person company in B two B located in this country, um, and so. If you approach sales with a very uh, trait-driven mental model, that kind of clashes with their way of understanding what a, a good account is or not. So making sure that you adapt the way you uh, you express concepts to that team is really critical. But then as the marketing ops, you also have to talk strategy while keeping, you know, as the CMO, while keeping an understanding of like what is actually possible um, and what is pie in the sky when we're talking about what we can do from a demand gen or like a customer journey orchestration, and then being able to go talk to the analytics team, which might be very, very deep into the weeds of um, the data warehouse and all of that. And, and you have to express the go-to-market questions and concepts uh, in, a in a language that's going to be very different. Um, so I think that's like that's definitely a big challenge and, and that what really separates um, very successful marketing ops folks from the rest. Yeah, um, I've been told sometimes that I, I talk too technical to some people. Uh, that's a challenge as well. And also sometimes, because you're doing things all the time, you tend to, you're biased and you think that everyone understands that like, as well as you do. And sometimes it's not the case. So you have to remember who you're talking with and how you're expressing all these things. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a challenge to understand uh, all these different factions of your job and who you're talking with and how.
Yeah, and, and adapting that level. And I know this is a topic that has come up in almost every single MOPS confession that, that we've run where the, the ability to communicate at different levels of granularity and, and to going into different levels of depth uh, across the board when you're like either managing expectations up or sideways or, or to other teams is just a, um, it, it is a challenge. Um, but maybe kind of um, jumping into another topic that I, I was really uh, excited to talk about. Um, so at, at Logs.io, I mean, you're, you know, uh, selling a technical product that has a, an open source component. One of the things that I, I constantly see is when we talk to, to companies like that, the build versus buy is always, you know, a gigantic topic because you have like technical, a technical founding team, which kind of trans, you know, transmits a DNA of we can do things uh, ourselves. Um, and so um, I guess like one of the topics was lead scoring where you were mentioning that you folks are, are starting to, to build a lead score. So I'm, I'm curious, maybe if we started at the highest level, um, how the, what was the conversation about? Like, do we build, do we buy? And then we can go into the details of how you're thinking of build, building it. Okay, so I'm, I'm privileged to work in a company and in a team and also in the company and the, the co-founders of the company uh, really understand and appreciate the meaning of uh, business analytics because all of the, the the data that we're doing, all of the things that we're doing, basically, is business analytics. And if you want to know where to spend your money, you will have to understand that. You have to have the right data, and you have to understand what the data means. So they understand the meaning of this, and they we put a lot of they put a lot of resources into it in in, in like manpower and also in uh, money for buying tools and everything. Um, so I'm, I'm really privileged, uh, we're really privileged in, in that sense. And as a, at the point of building or buying, so you don't have to build everything from scratch, like we're using uh, like tools that we didn't build our own, but you need to understand and you need to be able to use the tools and to uh, adjust them to your needs. Because a lot of the time when you're buying a tool, it, it, the developers of this tool didn't think of your specific use case. It might be similar, it might be close, but it's not 100%. So you have to have the, the resources and, and, and the understanding that you need to invest in it. Um, if you're a small company and you don't have the resources, then uh, if you do end up buying something and just make sure that you're doing all the demo and the POC as correctly as possible because you don't want to invest money and in buying a tool that is not fit for you. And I've been there. Uh, it happened to me uh, in, in the previous company. Um, and it's just a waste of time and money. So maybe how, how do you detect that? Uh, given that learning that you've had, because I think this is a challenge that as marketers, even just like people who buy software, you kind of run into very often. Based on that learning, how yeah, what? How would you do things differently now moving forward to make sure that the the tool you're bringing in uh, is actually the right thing to do? Okay, I think the basic thing is at, um, for marketing ops to be in the meetings, to be in the demos. So sometimes um, you're not invited. I don't know if it's in Madis or just they forgot to invite you. Just uh, make sure that you're in the meetings to raise the the, the, the right questions because. When you're working with it on a daily basis, you know what you need and you know what you have to do and you can ask if the tool can help me or not. Um, so that's the first thing, be in the meetings and be in the demos and, and, and learn and read documentation. I know it's boring, but um, read some of the documentation and, and see if, it, if, it, if it's a fit for you or not. Um, the other thing is, just before you, you, you even go and, and look for vendors, understand what are your needs, what you have to have, what will be nice to have, and what will be like a dream to have. And then go and say, okay, I need this, this, and this. Can you do it? How can we do it? How many hours do it take to implement? And then I could build a chart between the vendors and, and have this decision on whether to buy or not. Yeah, 
That makes sense. And I, I think this, I, one, it echoes really strongly. One of the things I, I keep on saying is that um, the last thing you want to do is just slap on technology on top of the the absence of strategy. It's really like there there is a problem that you're trying to solve. Like that problem is clearly identified and cannot be solved or cannot be solved to the right extent with the tools that you have at hand. And that's what drives the, the purchase decision. So I, I like that idea of making sure that you always bear in mind um, what it is you're trying to accomplish. I think where this can become uh, tricky is that I think in marketing we're, you know, we're, we're used to um, exploring a bit more. I think there, there, there's this idea that um, in marketing, you kind of constantly want to, you know, either identify new channels or like test new technology that might give you a competitive edge. Um, so I think making sure that, uh, you know, the, as a marketing ops that you have a seat at the table to make sure that, you know, if you decide to, let's say like, you know, send packages to customers that the tool you're buying actually integrates with your stack and it's not going to create this kind of new siloed tool that sits somewhere uh, and that you can actually run whatever experiment it is you want to, to run on top of it. Uh, so I, I like this idea that you have to make sure that it fits into the overall um, ops strategy and that it's not going to create an isolated part of the of the journey um, while at the same time, if it is a, you know, a core part or a core problem you're trying to solve, making sure that you have metrics around how you want to solve it and, and what is the, you know, quantified problem that you're addressing. Yes. Um, and so that brings us to, to kind of lead scoring where again, like given, given the product that you have, um, like lead scoring is, is obviously fairly top of mind and not sending everyone to sales. Uh, when you have open source, you want to make sure you don't um, feel too salesy to uh, the people who just want to use like a community edition or a free edition because it's just like that hurts the brand in a way that is unfixable, I'll say. Um, so, I mean, curious to hear again, like if we go from what you just mentioned, right? Like what is the, the kind of the, the problem at hand that you're trying to solve and how does that definition, how has that definition impacted how you've approached uh, solving that problem and building a solution? Okay, so we had uh, two, I will say, I will call it problems, I will call it challenges, because having too many, having a lot of leads is not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, being, I've worked in other companies that have different products or the different markets, so the numbers were, were lower. So having a lot of leads is obviously not a problem. The problem is having to understand who of, which of these leads we need to pursue, like really intensive, which less, and which we will never check. We send a couple of emails and see if they're coming back, and less, uh, spend less time uh, pursuing them. So that's why we needed a, a lead score. Um, we started with a basic lead score, which is like a, usually thermographic. So we did an analysis of how like all the opportunities we had in the past and all the deals we had in the past, and we tried to understand what would be the best the dream lead uh, and like build away from that. So like the, the, the best countries and the best uh, industries and the best, uh, it's not the best, the best fit for us, uh, countries and industries and titles and some kind of behavior in the website as well. But we started with a really basic one, like how many pages the lead read and did they convert if we registered for a trial, for example, and if we started using the trial? And we understood that this is nice, this can work, but we had to do a more sophisticated thing because the because of the of the numbers. Uh, when you get into big numbers, the, this method will, is not enough. And then we started to think um, maybe we can do it. Um, a bit more sophisticated and, and just divide into two categories. One is the thermographics and one is the behavior uh, of the lead in the website and in the app. And then we had a, a scoring between A1 and D4, which A1 was the best, was the best country, the best title, the best industry, the best uh, size. And one is like the best behavior in the website. You had a lot of pages, you registered for a trial, you used the trial. And then it goes down on, on the way to D4, which is like the 
less fit countries, the less and, and less aware, like just read a couple of pages, maybe just register to the blog, is not yet ready to, to, for us to, to try to sell him. But that um, created two challenges uh, for us. One is the sales and, and the demand gen felt that this was a too complicated um, for sales and, and to understand. Because what do you do if you have one lead that is A1 and uh, A2 and, and one lead that is B1, and which should I pursue? Um, so, and that's the first thing. And the, the second challenge we had is when you set up a goal to have as many A1s as you, you need or you can, um, that's opening up to pressure from, um, from the team, from the directors, from the CMOs, to maybe make some changes to the to algorithm and make it uh, a little bit less uh, strict. So then you get you're getting more leads that are A1 that and sales are saying that's that's not an A1 lead. Um, and another challenge we had with the scoring is especially for paid campaigns. Um, so we're bringing uh, a lot of leads from paid campaigns. We're paying a, uh, a decent amount of money to bring all these leads. And our sales cycle is taking months and sometimes depends on the company, but it, take, it can take up to a year. So you have to wait at least three, four, five months to understand if the leads are going to be, some of them at least opportunity or SQL or a deal. And all this time you keep on spending the money and bringing these leads. And after like three or four months, you understand that none of them is potentially becoming a deal. So we thought about uh, building a, a model that will take some of the scoring that we use now for the thermographics and the behavior on the website and add a lot of other um, criteria and a lot of other things to the data warehouse and create a statistical model that will allow us to understand in a, in a matter of days are these leads going to be in a, a statistical chance of an opportunity or not so then if you have a campaign and you bring in 100 leads and from, from the thermographics you understand you see that they're like from the best countries and the best industries and everything you can think that all they're all good but the model can say to you okay out of this 100 maybe only one or two you come a deal and then you can understand you can think is it worth uh, to keep investing in this campaign or maybe i need to change the messaging maybe i need to kill the campaign and do another one so this is a, a model that we're, we're building it takes time it takes time especially to understand what of all the, the, the information that you're gathering is is important um especially obviously the the thermographics and, and all, all that we said but um we found that one of the keys is if the lead is registered for a trial, how, how much time does it take the lead to start using the, the tool? So that's like one of the criteria. And we have a lot others. The, the statistical model allows you to look at 40 different categories and criteria, and not like five or six. Right. Yeah, and I think one element that um, this kind of brings to mind is it echoes the conversation we had a couple minutes ago about this kind of like T-shaped uh, marketer. Um, one of the one of the challenges with uh, with lead scoring is that similar to how marketing ops interacts with different people, lead scoring is going to be used by different teams in different ways. And I think there's one element which is always like, how do we maximize our ability to predict who's going to convert in a short time frame? Because that's who you want to send to sales. Sales doesn't care about oh, marketing is generating some great quality leads, but they're super top of funnel. Like they care about who's bottom of funnel and has the potential to buy my the enterprise plan that I'm selling or like whatever plan they're selling. Um, but use that model, if you build anything that's kind of optimized for that, it, it doesn't necessarily work from a demand gen perspective because generating a top of funnel, really high quality lead 
that lead is not ready to convert, right? So it doesn't score highly on this score. Um, and, and now you don't necessarily want to only run campaigns that are bottom of funnel. You want to keep on creating brand awareness and, and you know, brand penetration within your potential target market. Um, and that's where you almost want to think about the, you know, a different kind of lead scoring or, or a different use for it where you're saying it. I, I don't necessarily care that they're going to convert in 30 days. What I care about is do they even have the potential to one day convert and is it worth nurturing them or are these kind of community users? And in that case, I kind of nurture them through my community path because I want to keep on building more adoption of my product within, um, you know, the landscape of developers. <clears throat> and so what, what becomes interesting is that you kind of start thinking about like each of these decisions that you want to make, and then you can build kind of scores or like modify one big score to help with these different decision points. But, but what I love is that it goes back to, there's a set of decisions that have to be taken in the customer journey and, and the lead score or lead scores are generally a data driven way of trying to do the best at answering which path is the best at that particular decision point. But the way you answer that question, top of funnel can be very different from bottom of funnel. And so that's where I think it's, um, it's this thing where as a marketing ops have to be able to like play around with these requirements and figure out when is it time to actually stop using potentially the like sales driven lead score <clears throat> and build a, and start using the, uh, let's say demand gen lead score and then understanding also that you might have a middle of funnel lead score and things like that. Um, because as you said, right, people who activate the product really quickly in the trial are very likely to convert that information. Unfortunately, you're never going to have on someone who registered for a webinar because they just registered for a webinar, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad lead. And I think that's like a struggle that, that I see and, and, and the marketing ops often has a hard time conveying to the rest of the team that, there is no one single holistic model that's going to work perfectly. We can start with one, but as time goes, we'll kind of refine and we'll probably build different models, quote unquote, which are basically different decision supporting engines. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And also, I just thought about something like on the demand gen side, um, bringing thousands of leads is nice, but if the majority of them are not quality are not going to convert then it doesn't mean anything it's right. just names in the database and if you have them bothered to understand which of all these thousands of people is more likely to convert in 30 days or in a year or somehow along the way then you can understand where to put on your most effort and your most time and your most your campaigns and yeah, it's a it's a long run. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh... Yeah, and and it's it's a marathon where people throw more obstacles as you move forward. Yes. Uh, it just it, there's more and more complexity to it, uh, and then you're blindfolded, and then things happen. But I think the other thing that uh, at least echoes for me is, and I think Logs.io is is really interesting. And it, it you know we we had this conversation uh, like a couple months ago with uh, the folks at MongoDB on on one of our webinars where. It's important to realize that there are different funnels and that there, there is an enterprise sales funnel that is different from the uh, inside sales funnel, which is different from the community funnel. And, and from a demand gen standpoint, it's important to realize that if you're trying to run campaigns that will provide support for the enterprise funnel, then a community lead is not necessarily relevant today. However, um, because we all know how kind of like open source and, and community driven um, go to market motions work, we want to generate signs up and sign up, sorry, and we want to generate adoption from these community users because we know that at some point uh, they're probably going to go to a company that will be a good fit for the enterprise motion, and, and we want them to adopt. And this is something that the, the folks at Segment brought up a couple of years ago when they actually debated killing their um, their free uh, their free plan, but what they realized was that the free plan was actually a very significant source of enterprise deals, but over a long period of time. So they would have someone who would use segment, become an advocate, and then move to like a bigger company where, you know, when like companies that are hiring, they're probably like starting to think about like, we need to modernize our stack. 
and having that really strong champion join the company and be like, no, like Logs.io has to be a part of our uh, of our strategy and, and we need to at least try it. And that was like a really good way to then generate these uh, enterprise opportunities, but it's it's a very long-term play. And and it's important to, to know how all of these fit and like realize that it's like all these different funnels. And that's something that, again, I think on the MarkOps and BI side, like it's kind of the combination of like understanding the strategy of like how long-term do we go and like, you know, have like big market penetration uh, and how do we help the strategic team kind of visualize what we're doing and how, you know, demand gen campaigns are, are helping on one funnel or another. Yeah, so a couple of points on that. Uh, we are seeing a lot of students that are registering for our free community app. And I, I don't think we ever did, did an analysis, but these students will end up becoming like developers in other companies. So if they use us, they remember the name, they know that we exist. So in the long run, it's, a, it's an investment that we are doing. Um, we have to do like the balance between because you don't want everyone just join the free uh, free community, and we are a business company. We're in the market of being doing business, um, so we have to have the balance. But yes, um, yeah. the, the the free community is a, is a, a tool for like uh, for the long run, and for these for these leagues, there are the free community the students, the, the the developers in the small companies. They don't use the they don't need the enterprise right now. There, I would call it in like a all-time nurture campaign for them. We're sending them webinar invites. We're sending them pieces of content. We're sending them new features that we have in the product or new products. So, um, so we constantly until they unsubscribe, obviously. But uh, we're constantly sending them uh, content. And a lot of the times we are sending them content that's not even logs.io centric. It's like on the on the open source, on the the business, on the market, on the tools, on how to do things, even if it's not um, like really logs.io centric. Because especially in the open source, people like that. Uh, value the, the the good content the good piece of content that you don't you don't try to sell them in the face a product we're selling them uh, a tool to use uh, we are selling them things but we usually don't want to do it like in your face so right. you're, you're, you're correct about that yeah and i think i mean that's a perfect illustration of you need to have that decision of you know this new lead that we got does it go into our community uh, set of users or not, because the the journey and the customer lifecycle is going to be very different, and the content, like the the way you approach those leads, is very different. And again, this is where I think it reinforces again uh, this point that I was making about how marketing ops is really kind of the blood vessels that make sure that like the whole system is working, and that we're not um, you know sending a bunch of like enterprise content to a student that just like is going to overwhelm them and is going to maximize their likelihood to unsubscribe. And, and potentially even to hate you because like, why are you trying to sell to me? I'm just a student. Whereas on the flip side, if you're like guiding them into the journey of what are the other like open source tools that are out there, you build that really strong brand awareness and you're seen as like a thought leader into this world of um, open source uh, dev. And I think that's, yeah, that's critical to make sure that um, you don't destroy the, the value of your brand. And that's again, one of those things where Marketing ops plays that critical role in running the right segmentation and do, making the right decisions uh, without necessarily being like at the forefront and like it's not the you know it's not the creative it's not the the design that we're seeing but it is in, if you remove that part you're kind of destroying the whole value of uh, of your marketing. Yeah, as I said, uh, I said to you yesterday, uh, a good campaign starts with the audience. Um, you're gonna you can have the best creative ideas, the best banners, the best uh, videos, the best whatever, if you're sending them to the wrong people, it's not going to work. Right. So you have to understand who is your audience, what are you trying to message them, and you have uh, to have, which is also uh, a part of marketing ops, to make sure the data is up to date and clean, which uh, we didn't speak a lot about, but that's a really important uh, 
uh, faction of the marketing ops to make sure there are no duplicate records, the other records are being updated on a, a daily or weekly basis at least. All the information from all the uh, places is flowing into Marketo and from Marketo to the BI and really work close with the BI to understand trends. And if you see less, uh, something is like working less good than it used to do, um, then, then you have to be able to recognize it and understand why and then like fix it. Right. That makes sense. Um, awesome. Well, I know we're uh, we're at time, and I, I could uh, I know we could keep on jamming for for hours, but uh, want to be respectful of of everyone's time. And hopefully, um, yeah, this was insightful. Uh, I know we kind of went a little bit over uh, the time we expected. So, uh, if you have any questions, I mean, please feel free to submit them, and and we'll follow up. Uh, and any question that's for Tamir, same thing. We'll kind of. Uh, um, forward them to, to him and, and do our best to, to answer. But um, Tamir, thanks again. This was uh, very, very insightful. Um, I, I think, yeah, the, to me, really like that big learning is how like marketing ops has to be this kind of like T-shaped uh, marketer being able to interact with like various facets of the, the business and being able to uh, support all those, uh, all those different parts. Um, and before um, we leave you all uh, wanted to um, kind of promote uh, next week's um, confession where we will be hosting uh, Asia Corbett. We're super excited to have um, her come over. So she uh, runs revenue ops at Postal.io. Um, and I think she'll be like going a little bit deeper into how you connect like revenue operations, marketing operations, um, a little bit of like some hot takes on, on PLG because they also have that motion. Um, so we are excited to see you there. And um, of course, this is kind of like the, the promotional uh, part. But yeah, if there's anything that you heard today where you want to dive a little bit deeper into, um, we're happy to, you know, dissect your current kind of decision flow in your stack and understand, like, are you, you know, doing the right thing that Tamir was mentioning of, you know, segmenting, um, customers and prospects the right way to make sure that you're actually sending them the right message and you're not, you know, pushing a bunch of enterprise content to your community users or on the flip side that you're um, pushing um, a bunch of like how to use the product to someone who's already adopted it and actually is more of an expert. Um, so like how you make, you make sure that you kind of um, send the right message to the right audience at the right time. Um, so more than happy to kind of do deep dives um, around that. But um, on that note, yeah, Tamir, any kind of parting thoughts uh, before we leave everyone get back to their day? Uh, just thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And if say, if anyone here wants to, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can send me messages, ask uh, questions, and uh, feel free to, to, to ask uh, anything. Awesome. Well, Thanks a ton for uh, for offering and yeah, everyone. Thanks again for uh, for joining. Hopefully, this was insightful and helpful, uh, Tamir. Again, thanks again. Have a good, I guess, rest of your evening, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you very much.